Okay, welcome back to Jivecast, the Jive Welcome Asus back, podcast. welcome back, welcome back. This is, this is the, technically the fourth episode, or the third episode, part two. Yeah. But it's the fourth it count episode. as the fourth podcast? It does, because it's a separate release. Yeah. So. yeah. Although it's the same interview. I don't know what the protocol... We're so new at this, I I'm not know. sure what the protocol is. Well, I guess a lot of them have got us on anyway, so then there will be one episode if that was the case. Ow. What do you mean? It doesn't matter. Okay. That's too deep and philosophical. So, okay. so it's it the fourth episode, but it's the, it's the second part of the Glenn Zatola interview. Yeah. It's like one of those Doctor Who stri straggling two episodes. Epic issues. Epic, epic episode. thing. Epic with, um, Glenn Zatola, a man who, if you didn't listen to the first one, listened to it for a start. And also, he knew so many people, played with so many people. An uh, amazing trumpet player and sax player who could not only play with Benny Goodman, but also could play with Chick career, both everyone, ends of the spectrum. Everyone in between. So uh, have a listen to this, and then afterwards make sure you leave us a comment and subscribe to the podcast. <coughs> We've also got a bonus episode that we're not releasing separate, well, kind of separately, but it won't be, it'll be like a little mini bonus episode. Be on the episode end, it? Like an epilogue? Uh, like an epilogue. Well, it'll be a separate upload, but... Ooh. So watch out for that, and that's Ian. If you're Rambling. if you're a trumpet player or a brass player, uh, Ian and Glenn talking about mouthpieces because they both so fun. play the trumpet. Glenn's dad was a famous mouthpiece piece mouthpiece mouthpiece meter meter Mika. I can't even talk. I've got one stuck in my mouth. Anyway, so listen to the end for that, and see you next week. Bye. In the 80s, I started, when I didn't want to go on the road anymore, and my daughter was young, I started a production company with my partner, Bobby Rosengarten. I, I opened up at the Rainbow Room in New York, wow. which was top room with a big band. And my first time in there was with Johnny Desmond. And uh, then I was there for two years. But I started a company, and I had 70 musicians on payroll, and I did all corporate work and high-end weddings, a lot of dance music. And I built it up to over 300 gigs per year wow. before I left for Hollywood. Uh, and I learned a lot by playing for dancers. A yeah, lot. I can imagine. A lot. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different head for, as a band leader. Yeah. Because you're not going for the applause so much. Their contribution to your show is their dancing. And some of these guys really are amazing dancers. They are. They, they, they really Especially in New York, yeah. they were very sophisticated as yeah. far as being ballroom dancers. Yeah. Playing at the Waldorf, the Pierre, the Plaza. Whoa, these people really knew their stuff. Yeah. I think some people think, oh, they don't like us because they're not going mad and screaming. No. Um, but It's very sophisticated. They're dancing. They, if, if you, like you said, if you clear the floor, you know. And when I was 17, I played with all the Latin bands, Tito Puente. Wow. At the Palladium. Chick talked about, in Chick Corea's video, he talked about this place called the Palladium. Right. I played at the Palladium a lot. And really, when you play for the Latin dancers, you really get to, those, they can really dance. Well, a lot of energy and life. Well, you would hear, you'd hear a whole crowd swishing their feet at the same time, like, shh if you're playing like a pachanga or something. And I said, oh my God, these people are in sync. <laughs> They're good dancers, you know. No, it's a, there's always been, I think from the beginning of jazz, there's always been a connection between the dancers and the, and the musicians. And then also, like you said, with the showmanship as well. It's a whole, it's a whole package and the whole thing. And then like you're saying, like they're not, not just reading scores, not just going to university, and, which is brilliant. Yeah. I'm not putting it down, of course. Not just doing that, being able to like just 
get on a, you know, how, was it you saying when you first got the, uh, was it the Benny Goodman gig? How was that? You know, when he, uh, Benny's gig? Yeah, when you first did it and you just, they, they, there was no charts or something. Well, yeah, I, I, I get a call from John Bunch. He says, listen, Benny's a Trump player. Can you come down to the Astor Hotel right away? So I put my horn and I go down. Benny doesn't say anything and we jam for 45 minutes with Buddy Tate and Major Holly and John. Wow. And then Benny comes up and he says, yeah, can you leave tomorrow? You know. So I get to the gig and Connie Kay, the drummer, was the road manager. And I say to Connie, uh, any charts? He said, oh yeah. And he reached in his trap case and he pulls out this piece of paper, all brown, ripped. And it's the last, it's a riff to the last 16 bars of Undecided. And he says, yeah, here's your charts. So I got the message, you know what I mean? Well, so we went on. I went on playing with Benny Goodman with no arrangements, no charts. That's amazing. How big was the band? Just oh, a, a, a septet, so three. Right, yeah. Buddy Tate, tr trombone, tenor, me, Benny, and guitar. He just called off a set, and we play. <laughs> that's amazing. Thank God I have ears, you know. No, that, I mean, that's the way, and, and, and that I, is a lot. I have a very moving story for me, because... Oh, tell us, please. Well, I mean, this is Benny Goodman. People don't realize, you know, playing with Benny Goodman or meeting Count Basie, it's like meeting Michael Jackson or Elvis. Yeah. New, okay. So Benny gets on the mic, and Benny was not known as a nice man, like Count yeah. Basie is a beautiful man. Benny yeah. was known as a character. But he gets on the mic, he said, I just want to, it was my feature, talk of the town. And he said, I just want to introduce this next gentleman, but I want you to tell, tell you a little bit about him. And he says, I'd like to tell you who I've had in my band on trumpet. And he starts naming all the trumpet players, Cootie Williams, uh, uh, Harry James, uh, on and on and on, all these legends. And he says, I just want you to know before you hear him, this young man can hold his own with any one of them. <laughs> I almost couldn't play, you know. <laughs> that was the first gig? That's the first gig. Well, And we had a good relationship, Benny and I, you know. He, he was very nice to me. But you know, you bring, you bring up Benny Goodman's name in a crowd and you're good for an hour's worth of stories. <laughs> my brother would play, my play, Brunner played with Benny Goodman's big man in, the World's Fair, him and Clark Terry. He'd stop the band and he'd say to Clark, ah, the solo, give that to Bob. And they play a little bit and he stopped the band again. He said to Bob, ah, give it back to Clark. I mean, that's what the kind of stuff Benny would do. <laughs> when, we're, uh, John Bunch, okay? I, these, are, these are all the stories I'm gonna try to put in my book. John Bunch turned red one night Benny sit, used to sit on a stool in the curve of the piano, and there's a boom mic inside the piano. And you know who John Bunch is, right? Yeah. Great player. Yeah. So John starts a solo, and he's playing. Benny turns around, and he grabs the mic and pulls it out six inches. Another eight bars, grabs the mic, pulls it out six more inches. Now I see John turning red, really pissed off. He's, he's doing that four or five times, keep pulling the mic out, every eight bars as he's playing. <laughs> so I guess he was, but he was, you found him all right to get on with. Was that? You found him okay to get on with. With me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I'm famous for one thing. There's a famous thing called the Benny Goodman Ray. You the talk Benny Goodman what? The Benny Goodman Ray. If right. you talk about it with musicians, it was a, it's hard to explain. He would look at, at the band. It wasn't just a look. It was actually a ray, like a ray, a cosmic ray. I don't know what the hell it was, but usually everybody would freeze because they didn't know what he wanted. 
So one night we're playing Honeysuckle Rose and he turns around and he puts out the ray. Now my dad told me when I was a kid, son, if you're gonna play the trumpet, realize as a trumpet player, you lead the band. You gotta be cocky. Not arrogant, but you're cocky, you're the leader. So he put out the ray and nobody knew what to do. So I, I took the tune up an octave and took it out. <laughs> he never said anything to me, but all the guys called me the next day, I can't believe what you did. You, you took over when Benny put out the ray. They couldn't believe it, the ray, the ray, you know. <laughs> I said, I don't know, my dad told me you got to take charge if you're a trumpet player, you know. Sounds good. So, yeah. so, but you never mentioned no, you know, it. No, as a trumpet player, you're the yeah. lead instrument. Totally. Yeah. It's the loudest, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. So, uh, trumpet player and drummer in a big band. Those exactly. are the two guys. Yeah. yeah. Back in the day, yeah. I mean, back in the day when it wasn't even, well, maybe there was one microphone. Benny had two, two microphones or something in here. Yeah. With well, a big band. Carnegie, when I did Carnegie Hall, we had one mic for announcing. No, the band was acoustic. 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 And you, Outrageous. in that place, you could hear everything. Amazing. Some hall. And, and self-mixed, you see. Yeah. You don't need a, well, a mixer you got to listen, right? Yeah. I'm, oh, well, you haven't I told feel, me the Camp Galloway story yet. I feel yet. blessed, you know. You are blessed. I feel blessed. I really do. We feel blessed when we meet the people we meet. And now I feel vicariously blessed, blessed if that's the right word, or vicariously, how you say it in America. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, on a, like, a, like we only have a connection via you. You know, it's, like, it's great to hear these stories because then you feel like you, you know, get to know the people. I've more. been wanting to do things like this, and I appreciate that you feel that way because I want to give back. I want to see if I can pass down to others what was passed down to me by those no longer here. Yeah. Because, you know, they all would look in my eyes, all these guys, Milt Hinton, Doc Cheatham, and there'd be a little gleam in their eyes, and, and they wouldn't talk about it, but the message that I got was, Glenn, carry this forward, be pure to the music, we've spent our lives with this music. Creating. And, and I got a feeling that they wanted me to do that. Yeah. They, they, didn't want, they didn't want it to die. No, I'm sure. It's, it's like the passing down of... I mean, it's an evolution thing, torch. right? Yeah. yeah and, and in America especially, it is, it is the folk music. Swing dance is the folk dance. And Absolutely. It's the swing, the swing music is the swing, is the folk... Well, it's one of the folk musics. Jazz, jazz, blues. Jazz is folk music. Yeah, that, that's where it comes from. And it's, uh, it's, it's probably the biggest, I would have thought, the biggest constant import export from America. See, Hollywood and record labels and money-motivated people get a hold of the arts yeah. and they don't have the same feeling that we're talking about, okay? No, no it's a different thing. They just thing. want to find out what's, you know... Quick buck. Yeah. What do I got? Is it, okay, so sex, sex is selling, so that's what you have to do. I mean, I, yeah. I feel bad for a young artist who's involved with, let's say, the record industry and they say, this is what's selling, you want a gig, you know, yeah. this is it. Yeah, no, I mean, I've we've got friends who've been signed up to major record labels and we've thought oh no and then they've been you know they have to do the new photographs they're not allowed to smile they change the music and then it doesn't it's not successful right they change so much you know, that you know it's not Chick successful. Korea gave me the most beautiful and he's you know my opinion the greatest one of the greatest living artists because all the legends I play would have gone but he gave me his advice, what he's done his whole life, and he said it's been successful for me. He said, I put my artist hat on, and I decide what I want to communicate. Right. And I do that. Then I put my marketing hat on, or have someone else put their marketing hat on, and figure out how to sell it. He said, 
that's always been successful. The one time that I did the reverse, he said, which is I tried to do something that I thought was marketable, not my artist hat, it sold much less. I always say the same thing because when you, the, the creation of the product, which is, if you, think of, if you think of it in marketing and normal businesses, which the business people do, like if you're, market, if you're marketing Coca-Cola, like Coca-Cola is just a brown sticky liquid, right? I don't like it, but people do. Yes, junk, yeah. The marketing is what most of the businesses and music businesses come now, it become, right. is the marketing, right. which is like, uh, you know, how's the bottle gonna be? What's the advert and all this sort of thing. But what happens is you wouldn't change, you wouldn't change the product. And the only time they did try and change Coca-Cola, because they were trying to be like Pepsi-Cola, it failed. Right. Completely failed because right. they made it sweeter and people didn't like new cola and they had to go back to classic cola right. by survey. Right. And it's the same with us. You see, if, you get, if the musician, the artist puts, like you said, a hat, which is a good description of what a, a job. If you, you, you're wearing a hat doing a job and you suddenly go, I'm, I'm okay as a musician, oh look, the kids are buying this, I'll change my music. No, you, you don't. Your product, your, your product that you're making, your Coca-Cola, your whatever it is, your, you know, you can vary it within the product. You obviously, you can market the one that, the side of your product that is closer to what they like. But you, if you change what you like, then you're getting into marketing. You have to, you're right, you have to do your product, your music, and then you have to have someone, how do they market that? Right. Which is, I think, why people like Tony Bennett and obviously jazz singer and, and um, not a jazz singer, but a great singer, um, uh, Tom Jones. Right. Both of them had their revival when their sons took over as the manager. Right, right. Because Tony's they suddenly son, knew... Son. He, he wouldn't be doing what he's doing now without his yeah, son. They understood at that time the new market. Right. They understood the... the, the but they didn't they change the product. No, they just collaborated the product with people got the products in front you can of the market right people. anything. Yeah. I remember buying a Tom Jones album because the Live from the Talk of the Town, which has got an amazing band on it by the way. Right, right. It's in the sixties. Yeah. Jack Parnell on yeah, the drums right. and everything. Uh, amazing trumpet player, I can't think who it is now. And I brought that and at the time when I brought that back in the eighties, I, I was almost embarrassed buying it because it was easy listening and it was what all the all the mothers were listening to. Because the mothers were like the his version of the Bobby Sox is getting right. older. Right. You know, and then later on, Tom Jones was in again, and the same with Tony Bennett. Right. And, and what we, somehow we got to do that with you, us, swing, jazz. You've got to somehow, how do you put that without changing the product, without changing the music, that being able to stand up there like you do on any stage, play by ear, how do you do that without having to do a course in appreciation just by how do you do that? And certain things are bringing it back, you know, musicians back, postmodern jukebox are sort of bringing back the good musician or the appreciation of live musicians by uh, doing jazzy versions of modern hit songs. Right. Which unfortunately, some of them to me don't have much of a melody and it really no. shows up. Right. Because I don't know the modern versions and I'm like, what? But well, they're, not they're doing good a good thing. Well, they're not songwriters, some of these people. They're not. You no. Know. Uh, you can't funny, compare a, a Richard Rodgers, Cole Porter, George yeah. Gershwin to these. these yeah, songs. and funnily, the one, the one, the one that um, that uh, Postman Jukebox did that was one of the biggest, I think, one of the biggest hits, which is all about the bass, actually has quite a good melody. Right. And I think that why that's lasted, because of the melody. 
you know, do 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 do. But if you listen to it, it's actually we did a we did our own silly version, rewrote the words about Bing Crosby. It's all about the Bing, about Christmas. Um, but it, when we were doing that, I thought, well, actually, the melody is not bad. Back to what you were saying, I want to just before we get off that subject about yeah. the marketing. It boils down to communication, as we know. Yeah. Communication is what art's all about. Yeah. And integrity-wise, you have to communicate what's here. Exactly. Because if you're not being yourself, if some record producer tells you, well, you got to, you know, you, we need sex. Is, if you're not going to be who you are, yeah. you know, you're it's violating communication, you know. Oh, yeah. Alex is reminding me. I keep asking about the Cab Calloway story, and I haven't got it yet. Which one? Oh. You, the story you well, played I with Cab Calloway. With he was Cab one of my first what? heroes. What's that? Cab Calloway was one of my first heroes. Oh, really? Because he was a, uh, I, to me, at that time, in the 20s, I mean, obviously, he was very influenced by, again, by Louis Armstrong. You listen to Cab Calloway's very, very early recordings, they're like Louis First Armstrong. First of all, he's the guy who invented rap. Exactly. Okay. Totally. Now, Bill Tinton told me a lot of Cab Calloway's story because he was with Cab for 16 years. Cab, I didn't realize, and I played Cab. When he was a, you played with Cab? Yeah, he was almost right, 80 wow. years old, but I played a concert with Cab. I got the band for him. Wow. Um, but Mill told me in the day, when they would travel, they traveled by train, and Cab would load his purple Lincoln Continental <laughs> into the train. Wow. So when they get into town, they would roll the Lincoln off. I mean, Cab was huge. Yeah, people don't realize. They don't realize. How big he was. I mean, yeah. It was huge because um, John, our sex player, was talking about, he's got the Milton Hinton book. And he was talking about when uh, Cab came into town, Milton Hinton was playing, I think, with Zooey Singleton. And uh, Cab came in. It was like, oh my God, Cab's coming in. Cab's in. Cab's in. It was like, like you said, Elvis or something. I mean, somebody was in. Um, and also, obviously, as a, as a black artist at the time, he was, he, he span, he was beyond racial, the racial barriers at the time. And of course, jazz, another, comp another subject completely, jazz, you know, did a, an awful lot, jazz and jazz musicians did an awful lot for eradicating those boundaries. And um, he came in, he was huge. Um, he watched the set, watched the first half or something, talked to Zooty Singleton at the bar. Zooty Singleton came over to Milt Hinton and said, this is your last gig. He, I won't say the words he used. He said, this is your, yeah, this is your last gig, MF. He goes, you're, you're, you're on the train with Camp Calloway tomorrow morning. And that was it, he was off. I saw you a know. documentary on Bing, and he said a very interesting thing. He said, I just want you to know, me, Sinatra, all of us would not be here if it wasn't for Louis Armstrong. Absolutely. People don't realize Louis not only sets the standard for trumpet, he set the standard for popular vocal, the way to phrase, jazz phrase. The singers before Louis were not like Sinatra, you know what I mean, or, to yeah. or Bing Crosby. He set the standard for all of it. So it was the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah, That's I why mean, they call him Pop. Right, so just before we uh, wrap yeah. up, I just want to say, so like, like, like we were saying when we were talking to you, you've mentioned there's so many names. I think, and you've been sending us, I mean, we've known you for ages, but like the past couple of days, you've been sending us I've been lots of different of tracks. A little out of control. A little out of control, but I love it. Yeah. So, and, and the tracks you play, you send, you sound like, I don't mean you sound like, but you, 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 you're playing a New Orleans Dixieland style track. Then there's a, a Dizzy Gillespie style bebop track. Right. And then there's something that sounds like Arturo Sandoval. Right. You know, and like you said, you, I don't know anyone else who's, who's able to play, hold his own and play with Benny Goodman 
uh, and Milt Hinton, and also be able to play equally well, well you, with Chip you, Corea on more than one instrument. You struck a your nerve when you said that because I don't want to brag. Brag, but, brag. Okay, well, no, but I said to myself, okay, who is Glenn Zatola? Because there's a lot that I'm not, okay? I'm not Michael Brecker or John Coltrane or whatever, or Chick Corea. But who is Glenn Zatola? And, and I have to say this, I, when I answered that question for myself, and excuse me, I shouldn't even be saying this on the air, but I think it's true. I'm probably, as far as a trumpet and saxophone doubler, okay, guys plays brass and Yeah, because we didn't mention much, but for okay. listeners, you, you play a lot of saxophone. A lot. Yeah. Because I'm... If you see I front cover jazz journal, whatever, I'm, I'm viewed as a guy who, who plays both equally well. Yeah. Not just fooling around on the sax or something, yeah. okay? Because I know the other guys. I'm good friends with Benny Carter before he died, and another guy, Iris Sullivan. But I think I'm the greatest brass reed doubler in jazz history, not only because of the, the ability that I play on both, but the fact of the spectrum of the music. I don't know any like Benny Carter could play with Benny Benny Carter could have played with Benny Goodman. Yeah. But he could not have played with Chick Corea. Yeah. So I've been able to play the a full spectrum and I'll say why I'm saying this bragging, there's a reason. A full spectrum of music from Louis Armstrong to Chick Corea and everything in between. Clifford Brown, Miles Davis, okay, Stan Getz. Yeah. And it's because of the way I play by ear. In other words, and I got all these reviews, people are amazed because I never transcribed the solo. When I listen to a legend, I basically get his phrasing. Charlie Parker. Charlie Parker's phrasing is different than Louis. Miles is different than Charlie Parker. So I basically get the phrasing when I'm using all my own notes. I'm right. making it my own. Yeah. And the reviewers have said that in the reviews. Oh my God, I can't believe it. He kind of sounds like Charlie Parker, but he's not playing any Charlie Parker licks. Yeah. Okay, totally. it's because I looked at the, when I learned how to play, I would say, okay, let me see, how's this guy coming into a phrase? How's he getting out of a phrase? Yeah. How's he approaching the music? It's very yeah. conceptual. So what I want to say to students is really study phrasing. Pick any artist you want to talk about. Louis Prima, I don't care. Yeah. They have a special way of phrasing the music. Yeah. That's and their own. Even singing as well. That's and an that's why the, the best all the phrasing. legends in four bars, you could you knew that was Sinatra. Yeah. You knew you knew who everybody was. Yeah. Today, I don't know. They all sound the same. Yeah. And it's because the phrasing you make you make the music your own. Yeah. Your own style. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's, it's not the notes. Yeah. You can use no, any notes you want. That's very interesting because yeah. I I I people have said because when I'm singing, I'm I'm, when I play with Benny Goodman, I'm playing completely different than Chick Corea. Yeah, I, can, I, I, can't I, can play, I yeah. can't play swing with, with Chick. No. It doesn't work. No, and that's an amazing You'll hear it on that album, track with Chick, and I'm not playing swing. Yeah. But I was saying, I was saying, because with singing as well, just like, I'm influenced by different singers, and it's the phrasing. I listen, I don't sing in the same key or right. copy, but somebody, oh, wow, you sound like D. Martin when you're doing that one. Right. Well, that sounded like Louis Prima. I don't. Right. I always go, well, I don't sound like that, but... What I've done is I've taken a bit of phrasing. I like the phrasing. Right. And, and you're right. I, I never realized that before. I want to mention the album. You just mentioned the album. If it was, if it was a TV show, I would now be showing this to the camera. This is uh, Cedar One. How many albums have you got all together? 50. 
50 albums. No, more um, like 60, I think. Yeah. But you don't have to buy all of them right now. No. First one to get, this is a jazz life. And I want the total to know, I don't story. want any money. I don't need any money. I'd like money, but I'm not doing this for money. Send love. What's that? Send love. No, what yeah. you want is to pass it down. I'm doing this because I want to preserve, preserve the music. You know, I don't want it to die. That's great. And it's, a, as they would say in England, a noble thing. So this is this this album is was this, this is a double anthology. is this a double album? It's an anthology. Anthology and goes in chronological. It, chronological starts my first album when I was fifteen, school band, 15. school jazz band, wow. all the way up to current. And it's called a jazz life. Glenn Zatola's story, uh, and it's got everything from green sleeves and cotton tail at the beginning, uh, everything. And I remember ends with I remember Clifford. That's right. Which is from the Clifford Brown right tribute right uh, or homage. Yeah. Homage. Well, I wore that album out when I was a kid. And you know Clifford's story. He died at, he was a really nice man, too. He was a guy, people don't realize that he was changing the persona of the jazz musician. He didn't take drugs. Right. He was a clean cut family man. And he died in a tragic car crash at age of 26. That's outrageous. Yeah. Lost. So. Uh, we're have to end off. It's just going to be really long. We could and do about we could do about six podcasts. Though. I realize that. And I got to so talk to you about mouthpieces because I want to tell you about mouthpieces afterwards. Oh yeah, well, this I is guess. like a, this is like an epilogue. Nobody wants to know about mouthpieces. No, no, right? we're going to talk yeah. about mouthpieces because, of course, your dad he, he created them. Those, yes, my yeah, dad. It's a yeah. total mouthpiece. Yep. So okay, a jazz life. Glenn's a total story is the album. Uh, so subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Please leave a comment and review to help wow. keep the swing alive. And keep the money flowing. No. Yeah, no. well, we, we're not worried about keep money the, either, really. What they used to say we're on the Ted Mac Amateur, keep the cards and letters coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Answers on a postcard. Yeah. Yeah, we, we just want enough money to eat so that we can play the music, basically. Um, we just don't tell agents that. Right, exactly. Basically, that's what oh, we want. Oh, I do have a, want. one last story. One well, last story okay. from Glenn Zatola. The agent books a tour in Europe, and we're and we're going to a gig in Croatia. This was during the war, so we're going over the border, and a great band, uh, uh, Jimmy Woody, who's with Duke Ellington for 16 years, wow. and was Sarah Vaughan's boyfriend. Anyway, we get we have to get out of the bus to give our serial numbers of our horns, and the guards had guns, and they say, "Quick, get in the bus! There's snipers on the hill." What? I didn't even know this. This agent booked a gig. So we get to the hotel, the Europa Hotel, and there's all these scaffolds up, and I'm checking in. And I said to the guy behind the desk, I said, oh, you, you're remodeling? He said, no, we get bombed every week. We leave the scaffolds up. <laughs> so I get to the gig. I do the gig. We leave the town. I turn in all my money, my Croatian money, and I'm going out, and we have to stop out of stop. I have to go to the bathroom. There's this little old lady staying out in front of the bathroom. She could have been my grandmother, okay? I go into the bathroom. And I come out, and she holds out her hand, I guess for a tip. So I try to explain to her I don't have any money, and she starts beating me up. She, she starts punching me against the wall. I, I ran into the bus. I was so scared. This, this old lady beat me up. <laughs> so I guess they were having a tough time there. I, I guess they were, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's my last story. So that's the last story. So we'll end on that one. And, and uh, I was not happy about the agent not telling me where they I'm, were I'm booking. I'm going to say I'm have a word with our agent. Make sure he doesn't book us in Croatia for a while. where they're booking you, you know, Afghanistan, you know. That sort of thing, yeah, we'll play for the troops. Oh, yeah. wait, wait, Glenn's Tola, you stopped. Glenn's Tola. total pleasure. The legend. Anyone, please I, Google him. Look at his YouTube videos. I've had a lot of interviews. You're the, the best. I've had a lot of interviewers through the years. 
comfortable with you. Thank you. Thank well, you you're very a trumpet player. What's you know? Exactly. Cheers. It's a mutual thing.